This episode contains strong language and discusses subjects that may be inappropriate for sensitive listeners and children. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, may peace be on you all and welcome to another episode of I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And I am here with a whole Muslim segment and it's the segment in which I feature Muslims who do unusual things and it can't be any more unusual than my guest Leah V, who is, I'm sitting here reading her bio, okay? She's an author, body positivity activist, and the first international plus size model. Any one of those things could like win you tons of accolades, but you know, you're all three and you know, I'm going through all the campaigns you've been featured in everywhere you've been featured in, you know, New York Times, The Vogue, you've done campaigns for Dove, Target, Delta and everything. I'm telling you, Leah, you're making us look bad. Okay. The rest of us, you're making the rest of us look bad, but I am so happy to have you with me. How are you doing, Leah? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Doing great. I'm alive. (laughs) That's a good thing. And (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And I know that you have just come out with your second book, The Union. And I'm going through this and I'm like, and I just told you, It's bringing up a lot of feelings for me, and we're going to get to that. But before we get to that, Lievi, I want to ask you, how did you come into all of this? That's a lot of stuff. How did you come into being an author, a body positivity activist, and being a plus-size model? Um, Well, it's... You know, it's a long story, but we'll give you the short version, the entertaining version, because, um, you know, I'm a Leo and I like to entertain uh, and so, to my own detriment. Unfortunately, <laughs> we'll get into that later. Um, I <laughs> I um, was it was supposed to be a writer. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, the goal was to be um, a sci fi author and dystopian author. Right. That was it. There was never. um I mean, look at me. There's no way 10 years ago that I would have made it in the Molly industry. Never. Mm-hmm. Um, without s- social media. Never right. would I have ever made it without social media. Right. And that was like a new thing when I was growing up. So I'm 35. No one believes that I'm 35, but I am. Uh, I'm a black vampire. Clearly black. <laughs> <laughs> and so the plan was I was always interested in modeling. I used to mm. fawn over like America's Next Time Model yeah. and Tyra Banks and I would like take my Payless heels and mm-hmm. um you know in in the hallways you know strut down the, the imaginary catwalk right but I knew I was too short too fat too Muslim to ever do it so it was always in the back of my head mm-hmm. uh, but I knew I would never make it and so yeah I tried to be an author I wrote my first book at sixteen oh, tried wow. to get it published yeah. Um, it, yeah it was crazy I tried to write my first book at sixteen wrote it no one wanted it I wrote another book. Two years later, no one wanted it. And at that point, I was so disgruntled. And I'm like, you know what? Who are you to think that you can write a book and get it published? You're a fat black girl from Detroit. You have no father. So just go to school, go to college, get a normal job. Right. Um, so everybody was like pushing me to get a real job, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, this book thing, you know, people don't like you don't do this. Like, why are you trying to do this? And right. I believe them. So for five years, which is the worst time of my life, um, I stopped writing um for five years because I was like you can't make this and make it as industry mm-hmm. um fast forward I started people kept telling me I was photogenic 
-hmm. And I never believed them because I had eating disorders and I had body dysmorphia. Um, Again, terms that you don't really know back in the day. And so I just felt like the most ugliest thing ever. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, stop lying to me. Um, People kept saying it, kept saying it. Um, So I, for some reason, stumbled upon like kind of social media and hashtags, Mm -hmm. uh, like plus size model on Tumblr and stuff like, you know, Tumblr back in the day. And I was like, I started seeing like big women with big boobs and big butts, like getting flown out and like Mm -hmm. had like some sexy partners and getting deals and stuff. And I'm like, what the heck is this? I'm like, this is a whole segment that I've never knew existed. Like where Mm -hmm. I come from, plus size women are second class citizens. We get Mm -hmm. whatever's left you know, we don't have nothing. So I was just like, what the fuck is this? Mm. Who's been lying to me? Yeah. And so I have to slowly build my confidence up and be like, yeah, you can be big and still like, I don't know, be cute and stuff. So I started like getting clearance rack items, getting clothes from stores and taking them back after photo shoots, digging into my friends' wardrobes, getting accessories. And on a grainy Android phone, we started taking pictures and we started posting them on, on Instagram. And but, uh, here's the thing, Leah. I mean- I still go out like and when you're Muslim, okay, finding clothes that look nice and, you know, have certain like requirements, modesty requirements or any coverage requirements is hard. Mm -hmm. And then when you have to look for clothes for a bigger person, a plus size person, it's even harder. That's what I'm wondering. Like, how? Like, how did you how did that happen? Um, so you have to be super creative, right? Mm. Um, and mind you, my weight was up and down because I was still mm-hmm. had eating disorders during this time. Mm. I was still big, but I was like smaller big. Right. So I still had eating disorders, but I was always big. Mm. Um, so you got to learn how to how to layer. You got to learn mm. how to pull from different things that are probably you got to you, you got to make the clothes. I mean, don't let the clothes make you. And a lot yeah. of people like be like, oh, how do you dress a whale? How do you do this? And it's mm. like I have access to the same clothes you have. Right. Mm. Unless you're like in a different country, then I, that's right. that's a different thing. But in right. America, we all have access to the same clothes. We don't have as much options right. than smaller size or straight size people. But I had to learn how to layer. I had to learn how to um, I like to say Muslim fight. And mind you, I'm not yeah. the most modest Muslim dresser. Um, I'm a little risk. I'm a lot risque sometimes. Right. But like, I've seen like more like plus size uh, Muslim girls still like do the same thing with like right. layering, uh, changing up the turban style, even getting things mm. custom. Um, now I'm, I'm custom queen. All my stuff is tailored. Um, and so, or I get things custom made, but back right. in the day, you know, I didn't have money. So right. A bitch had to learn how to layer and, <laughs> and I had to learn how to make these clearance rack items fashion right. money. And, and, yeah. and I would do that with, with very little budget. Right, right. And again, that was that was the struggle. So you started, you know, making your own fashion. Okay. You've got your phone, you got the social media to get yourself out there. But still, it's a struggle, Leavy. Right. Most people, even now. Like I, I'm like, I'm not even in the modeling industry, but you see it. It's just that even with the uh, plus size modeling industry up coming up, but there is the discourse that they only want a certain kind of plus size model. Not right. every plus size model makes it for very particular reasons. How did you do it? Um, yeah, honestly, I'm still shocked by how, I mean, I'm not very religious, but I'm very spiritual. Mm. And honestly, 
I, I would say it's a combination of that. <laughs> it's just being in my cars, but also I do not take no for an answer. Oh, um, wow. If you want to say no, I'm like, I'll see you in a year or two. Wow. I'm not, I'm not going to use, I'm not going to use you because you don't believe in, in it, but I'm going to see, I'm going to sit right next to you about a year or a year or two from now. Uh, that's always been my mentality. You mm-hmm. can see me as an underdog. You can disrespect me, undermine me. I'm going to get there. That's it. I don't have right. children. I don't have a man. Don't plan on having either one of those things. So all mm-hmm. my time goes into my brand of me, which oh, is yeah. my child. And so with that, I'm very opportunistic, not in mm-hmm. like a bad way, but mm-hmm. I'll take one thing that you say and I'll spin it into a whole opportunity. Right. I've always right. been that person. I don't like try to mine for information, but I'm so personable and so genuine and so real that people are like, I want to give her information. Mm. And from that information, I'm able to basically spin into opportunity. Um, right. And I've been doing that. I also am very grassroots. So mm. I like to, when I go come to your country, your town, I'm meeting up with movers and shakers. Um, I'm networking. I'm not just doing social media. People see me right. like, oh, she's so cute, takes cute pictures. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Behind the scenes, I'm doing so much more than the average person. I always, right. I have a saying, I will, I will outwork you. Oh, wow. If you're doing two, I'm doing, I'm doing four or five. That's it. And wow. that and that has pushed me uh, to be in situations that people who look like me are not usually in. Now, I'm right. not saying it's not systematic racism or like fat phobia, all these things, but they see me working. They see me mm-hmm. present. They see me pitching. They see me having lunches and having dinners and doing the, doing all the things. Right. It's tiring. But I'm it doing is. it to help my career tremendously by putting myself in uncomfortable spaces. Right. But it's hard, Leavy. I mean, Union is not the first book you wrote. Right. So I've read Unashamed, your musings of the fat black Muslim. And this is basically, and for anybody who can't see me, I'm holding up her book. Um, the fact is that this sort of encompasses all of those struggles and all the ways you've broken through so many barriers that you had going for you. It wasn't easy. And this is very raw reading for anybody out there. Please do pick it up. Do read it. These are This is one of the most rawest things that I've read in a while when it comes to human, human experiences. But again, it was a very stark, I guess, reality check for me about how hard this was for you having to go through everything, every struggle that you go had to go through ever since you were a kid, all the way up to facing this discrimination that you face again as a fat black Muslim woman. I mean, like like four out of five. If you were queer, okay, Leah, that would have been like, it's, it's, it's all that's, done. That's, 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 that's it, it would have everything stacked against <laughs> you now, Leah. Okay? Man, was, and I tried so hard to be gay, but it's just, I can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I, so all my friends are gay. They're like, come to the other side. I'm like, I want to, guys. We're trying. I can't. It's too much. <laughs> that's the thing. Four to five, Leah. That's a lot. Right. Yeah. And to have to like go through this, and it's not just within the Muslim industry, uh, not the Muslim, the modeling industry itself. There's a lot of hate you gotta go, have to push through, even online, whether it's in like everyday people who are just looking at you, uh, just another big person um and the the obvious discrimination that comes with that people have a lot of fat phobia 
That's that's a thing online. Just because they got opinions, they're going to give it to the next person because they feel that bigger people are less than. It's terrible. It's absolutely horrific. And then not on top of that, you being Muslim, again, it comes with another layer of people being preachy and everything else because you're a big, big woman in the modeling industry and you're not you again you're unapologetic about it so again if you could bring context to that because i i can't even wrap my head around it leah i i just don't know how you do it well as a black person you kind of have to learn you know from early age i learned to uh compartmentalize mm. you know e even during slavery how how did they get through that right. <laughs> compartmentalizing right. <laughs> like you can't like if you if you look okay if you look at it like okay i'm a slave and we're an enslaved person and I am on a plantation. And if I do anything wrong, it's over for me. Like you right. have to, you know, and how do you find joy in that? How do you find, yeah. you know, understanding and meaning you have to compartmentalize. And it's, it's so ingrained in black women and mm -hmm. other marginalized people to do that. And me and my therapist were talking about that word compartmentalized before um, I called it at the time, emotional, being emotional emotionally stagnant right mm -hmm. or like kind of pushing your emotions away to get the task done right. um, but she says it's, it's really compartmentalizing and I was like mm -hmm. that's crazy because like I have to do that to survive right? Right. right um it's it's survival mode for me most of the time even when I don't don't um understand it consciously subconsciously mm -hmm. I'm always in fight or flight mode um mm -hmm. and that's why I have therapy that's why I have a great group of people who are like constantly telling me self-care days and telling me to take right. breaks and stuff like that. But I have that. How many black women, fat women, Muslim women do not have that, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have access to therapy. No. They have an abusive husband or they mm -hmm. have you know, a community that doesn't understand mental illness and how to deal with that. Uh, telling them to, to take it to the rug instead of mm -hmm. what God created, which is therapy and support <laughs> groups. He created that too, you guys. Oh, so yeah. just like noted, let's mm. let's let's stop the stigma, the, the stigma around mental health. Mental health, yes, please. Anyway, um, and so how many people don't have that? Because I didn't have that back in the day, and almost like crumbled and imploded mm. on myself, and had many right. of times where I was just like, I don't want to be here anymore. Mm. Um, and so I have to compartmentalize. Honestly, I have to keep my um, eye on the prize. You know, I have to figure out what my why is. And I have to constantly, when I have my breakdowns, which is quite often, I have to be like, okay, let's take a step back. What is your why? Is it about mm -hmm. the numbers? Is it about the um, being affluent? Is it about getting uh, flown out? Mm -hmm. What is this about? Let's take it back. And so I have to constantly revisit my why, which is constantly reshaping and forming, but the mm -hmm. core values are always there. I'm in this industry to shake it up. And I want people to see people who look like themselves in the media. Right. That's my why. And I'll continue to be my why, whether it's social media, whether it's books, whether it is movies and TV and film, whether it's me behind the scene and becoming mm -hmm. a recluse, that mm -hmm. will always be my why. And I have to constantly remember that that's what I'm here for. Right, right. Very important why. And again, it that's that's the thing. I admire you so much for what you do and being present as yourself. It gives like not just a lot of big people, fat people who are online and all they are barraged with all this negativity, but mm -hmm. they see you and a lot of Muslim women as well. 
they right. see you and they see so much hope for themselves just so that they can step out of their own and shine a little brighter. It's mm -hmm. like, it's their right to be here, be exist as they are. And I, I love you for doing that. Um, but here's the other thing. I mean, your first book, Unashamed, was like a memoir. Yeah. So how did it come to the union? What drove you to write the union? And again, I'm going to discuss all the things. I mean, not the plot, because I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Please, you know, <laughs> this. And I had, you said dystopian no novel. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, this. who is this a dystopian novel for as well? So we're going to get into that. But please, how did you get into writing the union? Yeah, so to loop it back to the beginning of the conversation, I was a writer. I was a right. sci-fi dystopian writer. So I wrote right. three sci-fi books before I wrote uh, my memoir. Right. Nobody wanted to put, like buy my sci-fi writing. They didn't mm. care about my multicultural, um, gritty, raw sci-fi. Right. They don't right. care about my fantasy. And so that's, I'm like, so maybe I just, because like dystopian and sci-fi is dominated by white. Right. Uh, people and white writers right. um and so i wanted to do it and they're like uh who, who the fuck are you <laughs> and i'm just like i Aww. i just i just want to become i just want to become what i want to see i just like, want to write this yeah they're like absolutely not I, who cares about that i'm like who crying so Aww. when i got divorced from my former husband uh mm. we don't count that um I was so upset and mad at everybody. I was mad right. at like fat shamers. I was mad at my stupid ass ex, his uh, dumb ass family who couldn't cook. I was mad at white people. I was mad at the system right. and I wrote a memoir and mm. I wasn't supposed to write them. Like I've always written like personal essays, right. but never got published. Right. And so I wrote Unashamed out of pure anger for right. everybody. I was yeah. just like, F everybody. I'm writing about everything that makes me upset. Uh, and so that's how the memoir came about. I put that away. It was mm -hmm. never supposed to see the light of day. It's supposed to be just the, kind of me unloading. Right, right. Uh, and then I, you know, asked the creator, uh, you know, if you want me to publish this book, I need a sign. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up uh, applying for the Gilda Award, uh, mm -hmm. which is like a nonfiction writer's creative award in Detroit. Mm -hmm. uh, thousands of people every year apply for this award now, mind right, right. you. Only like two people are chosen each year. Mm -hmm. And so I submitted my abortion essay. Mind you, I had never, ever told anyone about it. It was a secret. Right. Right. And I was like, this is like a great way to unleash some trauma and also tell my story. Yeah. You didn't think I was going to win. Girl, I won the Gilda Award. Oh, and wow. Was, and so when I won the Gilda Award, I was like, okay, okay, God, I see you. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I... I sent uh, an ashamed out and in 24 hours, I had like eight offers. Wow. So that was how I became a memoir yeah. writer. I was never meant to be a memoir writer. Ah, so I see. The union is actually true to my roots of writing, actually. Ah, I see. I see. Such a root. But, yeah. But here's the thing. Um, and I know that like taking that into context. So the union was what you wanted to write. Yes. And unashamed sort of became a stepping stone to the yes, union. Exactly. So now here's the thing. I'm reading through this. And as I said before, I had a lot of feelings come up. I don't even know if I can call this a dystopian novel because how do you view something as dystopian d depends on a lot of our racial biases or racial integration in our minds. And I'm sitting there like, 
I don't know who the good guys and bad guys are. Do I call the good guys the bad guys or the bad yeah, guys the good guys? That's exactly and, what I wanted. Exactly. And I'm, I'm so <laughs> conflicted, Leah. Yeah. This is not fair. Yeah. That, that's, and that's what I wanted, that that conflict. I wanted the reader to feel very uncomfortable. Very I'm so uncomfortable. uncomfortable with this. Exactly. But I'm not saying that this is like this is fantastic because again, it's it helps us see a lot of things in a very different lens. And a lot of and if I had to a lot of, I guess, um throwbacks to present times and how things work right now as opposed to the future you've written in the union. Please tell my audience about the union as much as you would like. And I don't want to give away any plot lines. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so there's so much going on in the union. I wrote the union seven years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, and so it is like, she grown. She grown. Mm. That's mm -hmm. a grown. The, the, like, Unashamed was like, you know, boom, we wrote it in three months. Boom, we got to publish it next year. Right, right, right. You know, the union is definitely, she. she's grown. She's mature. Right. Um, it was funny because the beginning changed, I think, uh, over the years, I think, eight times. Uh, oh. But but the end the end always remains the same. Oh, yeah. uh, so and so and so in writing it usually it's like that the beginnings change you know for for plot and narrative. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the union there's uh, so I, I will say before I get into what it is <laughs> that the point of the union is to take the reader by the collar and mm -hmm. jerk them around a bit. Right. Like, so I always tell them that that when you read this book, that's the experience I want you to have, right. and that's the experience that you should have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the union is a reverse telling of history in the future. Right. Uh, that's, the, that's the best way I can describe it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's how I describe it. Um, we have it's multicultural. Mm. Um, we blur the lines of who's a good guy and bad guy. Right. Mm. Um, the question is asked, like, what does privilege look like? And if you had a limited privilege, what would you do with it? What would you do to keep it? Right. Um, right. And so we have sex work in there we have um slavery references um there's active slavery as well it's just that yeah. it's not in the context that people think about it and i think that's one of the most uncomfortable things for me again i'm a reader i've, I've read lots of uh, novels but there's always a structure about oppression oppressor and oppressed right but this flipped that structure and i was like I'm very uncomfortable with this. <laughs> I mean, because, yeah, 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 it's crazy because, like, you know, um, it's 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 it, you would have to have like so much time to get into it. But a lot of Black people, we we want to know what was what would it be like if we enslaved white people. Right. I feel like a lot of Black people and other people who've been colonized by Europeans mm. have in their mind. What would it feel like? What would it look like if we enslaved whites or Europeans? Right. So right. that is the basis of the basics, the the basis of the book. Like, you right. know, we've enslaved white people in the future. How does that look? How does that feel for and, and all the, nationalities? I think that's the thing. Um, it's one of those things that I've always wanted to see, I guess, played out somehow in the fact that what kind of discomfort would it cause either the reader or the viewer? To actually see that, not maybe not exactly slavery, but when you have situations where minorities are are ruling classes, and then you have those that are white people, European, in situations where they are actively discriminated against, right? Like actively, 
Like, what would it look like? I mean, it's always been, I think, a thing in my brain, like, how would it look? But again, we've come from socio-political existences where we've never actually seen that happen no matter what. Which is why when I was sitting there reading this, I'm like, I'm not sure who to root for anymore. <laughs> <laughs> would, would you ever think in your, in your life that you'd be rooting for a white person to win? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm very uncomfortable with this. <laughs> yeah, I like to do that in my regular life, in books, in my content. It's always a switch up. I never want yeah. to. I want people to to be like, I know what Leah's going to do or say. I always right. want to be like, what the fuck did you just do? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I like that. I get that from my grandfather who just passed away this year. But uh, he loved to bother people. Right, he loved right, to right. like say things and with a straight face right, just right. to see what your reaction would be and i and i got that from him uh and i do that in all my work as you as you can uh tell <laughs> <laughs> no but here's the thing i think it's a very good commentary on the fact that um about human nature and human existences that ha this has a lot of i'm uh, sorry a lot of pertinent references to how slavery injustices discrimination exist now and before this yep. uh, when it came to minorities and black pe people in particular very pertinent but again it's it's a matter of how people change when things are flipped sort of thing as well mm -hmm. it's a deep look into how do we create an existence where it's peaceful, it's peaceful for everybody, or if it's even possible, are human beings just creatures that are prone to oppression of yeah. one another sort of mm -hmm. situation? Yeah, and that, that's actually a really good point, uh, one that I also try to drive through as well, because we talk about oppression, um, there's different level of oppression, right? Mm -hmm. um, we see it, you know, whites against blacks, we see black men against black women, we see it against mm -hmm. Muslim husband to Muslim wife, right? mother to children, right. there's different levels of oppression, and um it's just wild, like in my, you know, 35 years of life to see the different types of oppression right. and how messed up it is, especially mm -hmm. when one who is oppressed oppresses another. I think right. that's what really gets me and really ruffles mm -hmm. my feathers is right. when a person who has been oppressed mm -hmm. oppresses their own or another. And right. it's just like, how dare you? Right. You know, how dare how dare you do that? And I've right. seen a lot in Islam. I've seen a lot in the black community. And so I'm very loud about it very mm -hmm. very loud in all my work and i think the union is a testament to that mm -hmm. kind of like my own life experiences and i put it in a this fictionalized dystopian mm -hmm. society but it's really something that like is a testament to what's happening now and will probably right. continue to happen right if people don't get therapy Leah v, that's that's the thing everybody go to therapy exactly yeah um but also have empathy as well right oh yeah most like, definitely you can, you, you can definitely. have empathy without therapy. So the fact right. that we have someone who has to go to therapy to get empathy is also a, so it, it's a, it's like, okay, a commentary on like human nature and like where we are as a society now. Right. And again, the thing is, um, I've seen a lot of these things online where, and I dislike it when people say hurt people hurt people. But the fact is, it's also a choice that yep. we are making that everybody has some trauma i don't think there is anybody who is devoid of some level of trauma but if you use that trauma that oppression to oppress other people that is a choice yep 
So, I mean, I think, again, it is like very well and like, I, I think disconcerting in certain senses when you're reading through it, put together in the union. And I'm like, I'm sitting there. I'm, I still haven't gone through it. I'm, I'm like trying to like finish it. And I've got kids coming over me like, Ma, I need your help. Like, like no, let me let me read this. <laughs> no, um, but again, I think it's it's so great to read this. It's very refreshing, especially. And that's the other thing. Your protagonists are women. And I think yeah. that's so great. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that's so hard to find. Even yeah. if you like have a protagonist that's a woman, you always have this dude that's sort of there and there's yeah. like I'm I I like I'm done. Like like give me some a good strong woman that's leading and that's that's, that's fixing the messes that, that have been made, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, so, I, so think, I purposely um didn't there is a male in there. Right, right. Um, but I did not want him to overshadow the mm-hmm. plot. Because right. there's so many like I personally don't like love stories. Yeah, I if like I don't know why because all my friends are like I want to watch a rom com. I'm like absolutely <laughs> not. I'm a hardcore John Wick type of bitch. Yeah, like, that's what I like to watch. But I also yeah. like to watch women leads right. in these types of very rough situations. Right. So although there is remnants of, I guess you can call it love, or is it circumstance? But it's uh, not the main thing. It's not the, the, that's it's the thing. Not, when you've no. got like protagonists, they're always like, oh, she's going to fall in love and they're going to no. be having her. No. No, it's shit going on. It's shit yeah. going on. You don't have time you to save the world. <laughs> exactly. Stuff <laughs> has to go. And I think that's a, like, again, a testament to women's lives now. Right. There's stuff going on. Yeah. Like, literally being destroyed. Okay. Right. Like, laws are being created and which are meant to destroy women right you think i'm worried about a husband right now no i am not people are like leah b when are you gonna get married there's <laughs> stuff happening in this world my goal yeah. is to find a husband no. what <laughs> this is not 1922 like what, what is happening <laughs> right but i think I, that's one of the things i appreciate about the union as well like it's so hard especially in it's specifically in a dystopian context it's always some dude with a gun, like, or, you know, big machines that are saving the day. Okay. Yep. This is pure, pure, like, I guess, especially for one of the characters, the the one who's oppressed, that pure grit and iron to get through what she had to get through is still going through. I'm still reading the book. And it, again, it's a testament to how women function. It's not all about brute force and brute strength. I mean, obviously, there you have, when you have to survive a dystopian sort of nightmare, you do need that. But it's not all that. Mm-hmm. It's a whole lot of using like your sharpness that I, I really appreciate about the book. And you know, I appreciate that you brought this perspective here. Please tell my audience where can they find the union and where can they find you on social media. Um, yeah, so the union um, is sold everywhere where books are sold. <laughs> right. So if you want to go through Target, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, um, if you want to support your your local bookstores, you can mm-hmm. also call them and ask them to order it for you. Right. Um, so they, they can get their cut as well because you know support small mm-hmm. <laughs> businesses that are black yeah. owned uh, and owned by marginalized individuals. So yeah, you can get it pretty much anywhere uh, online. You type mm-hmm. it in, 
wherever you fancy. Yeah. Um, also, you can uh, go to leahvernon.com and also have some links there. Um, and for um, Instagram, it, you can find me in my daily shenanigans. Uh, yeah. Vernon 2000 Right. And they'll see uh, all of that information on the screen so they can find you. And I'll put the, all of those links down in the show notes as well. Thank yeah. you so much, Leah V, for being here with me. I mean, I I love what you do. Okay. It's, I've been following you ever since I found out about you. And I'm like, I mean, that's not saying much because I live under a rock half the time. I only found out about you when I, when Buzzfeed did a feature on you and they featured Unashamed, I was like, where is she? I need to know about her. (laughs) But I, I, I really appreciate all that you do for all the people who look up to you as a big, black, beautiful woman. That's mm-hmm. out there living proud. I think that's so fantastic. Oh, so thank, thank you. you so thank you for being here with us. And to thank you to everybody who's listened in and watched us on YouTube. Y'all take care of yourself and may peace be on you all. Thank you so much for tuning in to I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And if you wish to follow my social media for more updates, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. All the links to those are in the show notes. And if you are on Apple or on Spotify or on Podchaser, please do give my podcast a five-star rating. It really does help get me, you know, in the public eye. And if you wish to donate to support the podcast, you can do so through the PayPal link in my show notes as well. Take care.